there, you are listening to the Drunk Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, Spencer, the Atlantean alchemist of ass church. Mm. Or should it be ass alchemist? What's better? Alchemist of ass makes it sound a little more classy. The alchemist of ass makes me sound more like a pro wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the way you want to go. Today, we are finally done with Conan. It's the end of it. Um, I was I, we talked about before because you've been busy, so we're already a day off on this. But we previously discussed talking about like the Hyperbian Age or whatever, and the stuff at the back matter. We're not no burnout on Conan. Can't yeah, I didn't even finish that part. When I, when we talk about these two stories, you might really understand why too. They got they got a little rough, especially this first one in here. Yeah, the first ones. Yeah, yeah, the first of the last two stories. Is the veil of lost women? Cool title. Yeah, sounds like I thought it was gonna be like some sexy lady with a veil and maybe like a horror story. Yeah, something Conan horror. That'd be cool. Conan assists a kidnapped woman, but is forced to chase her into a mysterious valley populated by women and a demon. What it doesn't tell you is he's <laughs> only saving her because she is white and they are super black. Oh, we will get to it. We are going to talk about... <laughs> they didn't cover that in the summary. <laughs> no. Maybe the detailed synopsis here. Oh, man. I, I did not care for this story. I did like the very tiniest part of when she was in the valley with the ladies. Like, it was kind of cool. And then it just got really dumb again. And also, this is the only Conan story that isn't from Conan's point of view. I don't know yeah. if you noticed that. Which is kind of cool. It's from the slave girl's point of view. So you get to see what Conan's like from other people, like how they view him, which was actually pretty racist. But it was kind of cool beyond the racist part. Mm -hmm. Livia awakens into semi-consciousness in a bamboo hut. Visions of her brother tortured and killed by savages dancing in her head. They didn't use the word savages necessarily. I mean, they did, but they also referred to them as some other names as they were of the ebony persuasion. Which again, he likes to say they're Ebon skin and yeah. But he when uh, he when he's being classy, when he's not, it's just straight up blacks. Yeah, the blacks, the blacks. And this one was full of the blacks, and it starts off where you think, okay, maybe it's not gonna be so bad. And then a girl, a black, uh, did he just call her a black girl? Or I feel like he said something more derogatory. When she enters the hut, she has like a sway in her hips and kinky hair. Yeah. And oh yeah, the yeah. I remember. And then he, and then he calls her a black wench and a black slut, and it's like oh god, it it was bad. I don't even want to bring it up in the book, like to read it because yeah, uh, this was by far the most blatant. I don't know if he was going through some shit when he wrote this story, but it was very blatantly racist. And where we'll get to the real racial point, it wasn't even the descriptions of the black people no. in the story that was bad, which were equally pretty terrible because like you got a little bit of that spattered through the the other stories to where you kind of mm. not used to it but you kind of you tolerate to, it you you come to expect it when you read works from this time period yeah. you know you, you don't condone it or you know you know or look forward to it but it's a it's a thing but the way this story was set up her brother they got kidnapped and her brother was cut up and tortured and mutilated I think, right in front of her didn't I think. they eat him too yeah i think they're cannibals of course they would be and like okay it's bad enough but then apparently they're keeping her because i think she's gonna be like the rape slave pretty much like they're just gonna sexually abuse her you eat you eat the male and you yeah which has a lot of fucked up connotations when it comes to how you know white people viewed black people back in the 30s how they 
Which even a stereotype that still settles a little bit today, where you're scared of the black man taking yeah. your woman or hurting, you know, your woman, your white, white ivory skinned woman. Like it's, it is pretty fucked up. A tribe's woman brings her food and she numbly, numbly eats it as the rhythmic drums beat outside until they suddenly change the beat and she looks outside to see the cause. She spots Bajuhu, the fat squat king of the Bakala tribe, on its ivory stool, and then a column of men coming down the path. All black spear, spearmen of the Bamula tribe, save one white man, their leader, who approaches the king. The obese... See, I didn't get the part where they were all black, too. The Conan was ruling... Like, I got the, the, the ones he's going to that killed the lady's brother and stuff. But I thought his... I just... Maybe because it didn't describe it. I assumed his tribe was... Well, no. I guess it makes sense because they didn't say anything about other white people, yeah. so... Uh, so, I guess he was just the king of the blacks. Awesome. So that's what you need. The obese, grotesque Bajuhu fumbles off his stool to greet the white man. His deigning to get off his stool is a sign of respect for the white man's power, and the tribe cheers. Livia watches the celebration and notes the great lengths the tribesmen go to to respect the white man. Even in the synopsis, yeah. the white man is... And it's way worse in the yeah. story. It's almost like they view him as a god, because he is really good at like fighting and stuff, which they respect. But... um. Because he's a white man. It's like, oh, he's amazing. That was kind of shitty. Anyway, uh, so Livia watches the celebration and knows, okay. Although he still places several guards at his tent when he finally retires. Livia tries to sneak into the tent, but is pulled forcibly by the hair inside when she tries to go under the flap. The man demands to know who Livia is, and she explains she and her brother were children of a noble family who were kidnapped by Kushites, who were then attacked by the Bakala, tribesmen and her brother murdered. She begs Conan to kill Bajuhu and offers herself as a reward. So she offered some sex and yeah, which Conan did have at some point a good point that or like a, a cool moral thing he brought up where he's like, you know, my people we don't take women like yeah. that, like talking about sexually, like you know they just come to me, but I would never just take it. So at least he wasn't a raper, which is good, I guess. Unlike the blacks, yeah, because apparently they're always rapist in this, so that's pretty fucking like this story. Conan is disgusted with the girl, but agrees to help her simply because he's more disgusted with Baju, who had wanted Conan's help in attacking another tribe. That is 100% false. That part about him wanting to help her just because he doesn't like Baju. He was actually going to help Baju, Baju who or whatever his name is, to uh, fight another tribe or some, yeah. some shit. He specifically says he only helps her, and I believe the term was the color of your hide. Yeah. He said he would only he was only going to help her, and he only agreed to help her because she had white skin. That was the fuck real fucked up part. Yep. And the only reason he was her savior is because he had white skin. And uh, which I never like all the times of reading Conan and seeing Conan. I never really pictured like a white man. I always like I always kind of pictured like a almost like a a jack like Middle Eastern like kind an Egyptian or something something like that because you know I was talking about her his um tan or yeah his well, like I said in the last story his, t his skin went from tan to olive to brown like it got darker as these stories progressed but this one they yeah, made he, it he's white he is white of white he is the whitest of men let me see if I can find that. Because it, it was so fucked up what he was saying to her. And this was also the shortest story. Like, most of these stories are, like, novelette length or novella length. And this was actual short story. 
I, I don't feel. I like say that. the only redeeming factor is at the end of this story, he was just like you know. I think it's go. It was going on along with how you were saying that you know he doesn't take women, but he's like if you were like, um, you know, an older lady or whatever, you know, I still would have helped. helped. Yeah. But then it goes back to because you are white. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, there's some good character no. growth, and then it, then then those dies. And he specifically even says that he his whole plan was to help those tribes and all this stuff. But then they're you know because they're black savages and black dogs that they were probably gonna turn on him anyway. So he didn't feel bad about killing them. But he uh, he also specifically stated that the only reason, like I re- reiterate, the only reason that he helped her or would help her is because her white skin. Because yeah. she was a white. And he couldn't leave a white woman in the hands of black dogs and black savages. So that was like, oh. Since I read that, I was like, oh, man. Because this story like almost immediately starts off racist, but then it gets worse. The next day passes with negotiations between Bajuhu and Conan. But that night during the feast, Conan sends a signal to his Bamulas when he attacks Aja, a Bakalan war chief, and the Bamulas erupt in a slaughtering frenzy. This was a cool scene. Ending with Conan holding Bajuhu's severed head. Livia watches all through peepholes in her hut, and when she spies Conan straddling toward her, she screams and bursts through the back door of the cabin, stealing a horse and riding off in sheer panic. I thought this was stupid because she found this place on accident. Riding butt-ass naked on a horse just through the jungle. Yeah, like, women don't have clothes in these stories. No, and she just managed to get to this valley of these lost women or whatever. Like, it was, she just happened to get there. Out of all the directions you could take. And, like, why would she leave? Like, he's doing, like, Conan's doing the thing that she wanted him to do. Um, it said something about her being repulsed by him, like, because he's a barbarian. And she only wanted him to help her, but she didn't, she was, like, disgusted by him and... I don't know. It, it had like these. It had these strong themes of like anti-man sexism type stuff. Like, hey, you know, I don't trust any man because they do this. They're violent and gross, and all they want is sex. And she just wanted to get away from that, I guess. After hours of aimless running, Livia, because she fell off the horse at some point, I guess. After hours of aimless running, Livia slips off her horse in exhaustion. Well, that, oh, I guess the horse was running. Never mind. She realizes she is near a valley that the native men fear, claiming that it was where women fled from their men, and the gods, taking pity on them, turned them into the white flowers that filled the area. And that scene actually played more out more like uh, the black men were scared of that valley because, it was, I don't know, something about white women. Because it didn't say anything about them being black women that go to that valley. It was just the, the, the dainty white women. That's why they turn into beautiful white flowers. Or had white flowers. Whatever the fuck. Who cares? Who cares? The story sucked. Spencer. Sucked. Livia walks into the peaceful meadow and sees a race of lithe brown women. Human yet different. Now the women weren't white women. Which is interesting. But then they're also like aliens or something. Like because they're demons. I don't know. Because their eyes were weird right? Weren't they they from like the... Other ones maybe. Yeah you know. Like the the great old ones or whatever. As she stands transfixed one comes to her and kisses her. It was a hot Liz scene real quick. Yeah. Hot Liz. She didn't like it. Almost in the... (laughs) I liked it. No. Almost in the trance she barely registers the naked woman chanting... The naked woman chanting around her as she is led to an altar and a giant bat appears and hovers over her menacingly. A monstrous god claiming it... What the fuck? Dog is murdering somebody. A monstrous god claiming its sacrifice. Suddenly, Conan leaps into view and attacks the creature, which, after a few bites from Conan's sword, flees skyward and escapes. 
Conan tells her he tracked her down to the valley, but his men refused to step inside, so he came himself. Conan says he never intended to take her forcibly and wanted only to send her home, jokingly telling her she was too soft to be a proper mate for a Bermudan war chief. So what'd you give this story? Like a two. Yeah, I'm about to say 1.5, two. This one also kind of lacked some of the, like, at least some of the other stories I didn't care for as much. The writing was still pretty good. This one, it was, uh, it wasn't on par with his other stuff. Like, Robert E. Howard style is, is, like, pretty descriptive and stuff. And this story, I kind of felt, fell a little short of what he could do. And things it seems kind of like he rushed through it, maybe. And, like, things just kind of happened. Like that at the end with the bat. Yeah. And he, just Conan coming out of nowhere. Just like stabbed it and flew away. And uh, there was a lot of rep- repetitive phrasing and words and stuff. It just, this wasn't a good story all in all. This was uh, clearly one of the ones he just rushed through to get out. Maybe it was one of the ones he wrote near the end of his life. I don't know. I would th- probably, because I think they, because you know, they were in the book in the order that, that they got uh, yeah. published, so... Yeah, so it seemed like maybe he was going through some real shit during this time. Because you kind of got a little bit of a vibe that the author was just kind of mad at something when yeah. he wrote this. And I don't know, but maybe his wife left him for a black, black guy or something. I don't know. He had some kind of um, Liam Neeson moment or something. Yeah, something fucked up. Yeah, but if you folks read some Conan, you could pass on that story. You're not missing anything. Just a lot of... Even by 1930 standards, that one was racist. Yeah. Like, some of these, you go, okay, that's just how they talk. But this wasn't just talking. This was the actual theme was, you know, only saving white women because she's white. Like, that's fucking awful. And saving them from the black yeah. people. Yeah, and actually, like, killing all the black people yeah. because you just to save just one because, white Just wo- because the white woman wanted you to. Yeah, one white woman he didn't know and actually said he was disgusted by. Like, he didn't think she was sexy, really. He didn't really want her. And uh, even, you know, at the end, he said he was just going to let her go anyway. So you killed a whole tribe of black people just because this lady's like, can you help me, please? And he's just like, ah, shit, okay. Only because you're white. You know, he, and he slowly unsleeves his sword and just like, I guess if I got to, I guess. Can't mind my business. I got to help you out here. That, that, yeah, that was fucked up. I didn't care for it. Next up on the list, the final story in Conan. The Devil in Iron. This was published in Weird Tales 1934. And this is a novelette. They're all, what fucking constitutes a novelette versus a novella? Because I, I must have written a lot of novelettes then, because my staff stories are about this land. While pursuing a slave girl, another fucking slave girl, while pursuing a slave girl into a trap on a seemingly abandoned island, Conan discovers a slumbered, resurrected city watched over by an ancient evil. I thought this story was cool, like the imagery and how... Like, the, just like, what happened? The, like, the idea of the story. But the actual um, execution of it, I didn't think was, like... I just, uh, again, maybe... He, it just seemed like he missed a mark a little bit. This one wasn't, like, racist or anything that I remember. It was just... Uh, some of it was confusing. It's just some of it... Like, he skipped some cool shit he could have did and just kind of yeah. focused on some not-so-cool shit. We'll get into it here. A Uteshi fisherman who was blown off course by a storm makes his way through the cliffs and jungles of the remote island Zapur to an abandoned, ruined, ruined thousand-year-old city. He finds a dome structure and, investigating further, a body lying on a golden slab. The fisherman reaches for the jeweled dagger the body clutches, but the eyes open and the body, truly a giant of a man, sits up and snaps the fisherman's neck with his bare hands. 
That was a cool scene, but it confused the hell out of me because I thought he was talking about Conan. Yeah. I thought because the, the, the description of the guy was Conan, but it wasn't Conan. This was somebody else. And the dagger that was on his chest kept him in a slumber, which was uh, neat. Jahugir Agha. <laughs> best I could do. Lord of the coastal town. Oh, God damn it. Lord of the coastal town. You do better than me a lot of times in these stories. And like I see that word. I'm just like that. That city's called A, <laughs> or like that dude's called an X. <laughs> I at least try. Um, yeah, I, these words are like kind of Arabic esque, and that's one of the few languages I've never studied at all. So I can't get the throat enunciations huh. and stuff. Is uh, that's how you'd say it. it's like it's K H A W A R I S Z M or something. I can't remember. Like in, in the old Conan movie, did Arnold have ever have to say any of these names? I want to go. <laughs> I actually wanted to watch that again because it's been so long since we read it. Now I might pick up some stuff. Maybe I'll do that this weekend. But anyway, Lord of the Coastal Town Kavor Warsum is rel- relating to his counselor Gazavavi. This may ages. Gaz of Gazan Avi, how can I'm just gonna start over, folks, and this time I'm just gonna butcher every name on purpose. Jehugagu Agha, Lord of the Coastal Town Kawukawusum, is related to his counselor Gazanavi, how King Yezdegerd of Turan is upset at his handling the border excursion of Kozaki bandits from the ste- steps, steeps, steppes. Steppes. I would like to think that our listeners enjoy me fucking up. <laughs> yeah. But then we've had backlash before, but if they're not real people, I feel like the backlash would be more minimal. Anyway. Next, now, now read it again, but this time as an ad lib. Like, ad lib. <laughs> I, should, uh, I should read it in an accent. That might help. I'll do my uh, James Joyce fuck fiction accent. Uh, Conan, it seems, has become their chief and has led many successful raids. Uh, this is another reason why this story didn't necessarily work for me on all you know parts because I couldn't. I was skipping so many of the fucking names like in yeah. my head. Like I tried to focus, but at some point you're just like, okay, because they kept saying them. Yeah, and like all like all the names together. Yeah, yeah, they back to back to back. Like, oh god. So Gazanavi has a plan, however, and brings forth the captive Nemedian princess Octavia, who will be among a proposed prisoner exchange. Gazanavi intends her to attract Conan. Then escape to the island of Zapor, Zapper, Zapper, where the barbarian is sure to follow. Once trapped there, Jehugigar Aha and his men can hunt Conan down. The defiant Octavia refuses to help until she is persuaded by the approach of the mute torturer Gilzan. I was a little confused at the beginning of this. Like, I, I don't even remember. How did they get to the cliff? They rode a boat or something? To get to this place, and they climbed up some weird steps that were carved into the mountain. I forget who they were getting away from people. Well, it wasn't... No, I thought it was, like, those guys were setting the trap for Conan there. Yeah, but they were trying to get him to go to that island, right? Yeah, by telling him... By letting him know that that slave lady he was after... Yeah. ...was gonna be there. There was some... So they were using her as bait, because they figured if they could get him by himself... And just shoot arrows at him from a distance that they'd be able really to... I didn't really understand the second, which was the initial plot, and the, I didn't care enough to really focus on it, because it was kind of boring, and it wasn't until he actually gets to the city that was cool. Like, that was, like, what got me in, but at the beginning, I just, a lot of these Conan stories are like that. At the beginning, I'm just not really that interested. Well, you... you, you... I know a lot of times, I was just like, man, until you, we actually saw Conan. Con- you're just like, I don't give a fuck. 
that's another reason why that story, that last racist story was so shitty is because it was from that girl's point of view and Conan was not the focal yeah. here. Like he wasn't the focus. It was mostly about her, which again, I just, I ain't reading Conan to read about some lady. At least she's not badass. Like, you know, yeah. maybe like one thing, if she was like a, like a, so- a red Sonia type character who was like, like a Xena or something. Like, that was like a female version of Conan that's also like kicking some ass. You know, See, that'd, that'd be, be kind of cool. I'd be down for that. Conan teaming up with some folks. Soon Octavia truly escapes, or so she thinks, and makes her way into the swampy morass and spying an island close on the horizon, swims toward it. She makes her way up steps carved into the cliffs and darkness surrounds her, but is surprised when a human arm reaches out to grasp her and, despite her shrieks and struggles, carries her away. The next morning, Conan sails for the island as Gazavi planned. He makes sure fall under the watchful spying eyes of Jehugur. <laughs> I mess with the guys every... Like, I change his name every time. <laughs> he, he, uh... Under the watchful eyes of Jehugur and his men, Conan enters the forest thinking of the beauty he had seen at the Jehugur's pavilion, and after being told by a fisherman that she had escaped to Zippor, determined to rescue her, he was familiar with Zippor, having attended a pirate conclave a month ago, but freezes when- whoever wrote this wrote, like, there's a lot of grammatical errors here that's Mm -hmm. fucking me up. (laughs) So folks, when you hear me read these synopses, sometimes I'm changing them on the fly. But freezes when he sees what were once crumbling ruins now rebuilt into full walls and battlements. He turns and runs for the shore, but a trace of Octavia's perfume stops him in his tracks, and he reluctantly returns to the wall. He climbs the green... God, this is as boring as I remember reading it. I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) This whole fucking beginning was just dragging ass. He climbs the green stone and looks down on a small, if deserted, city. He begins to look in windows and is confronted by a girl, Yatelli, who seems nonplussed by the scimitar wielding barbarian. She mentions that the city is protected from rebelling Uteshi slaves by Kazatari Kel, but then she becomes confused because she recalls how she was killed by the slaves when they revolted and climbed the walls last night. So she was just killed the night before, but here she is speaking. She then decides it was a dream and simply tries to take Conan in her arms before she falls into a deep slumber. Conan thought she was on the drugs they were in that uh, Zether of the Dusk or whatever that story was called. That Black Lotus they were taking or whatever it was. He kind of thought maybe they were just on drugs. Which kind of seems like heroin almost now. Yeah, like I said, the opium thing. A stunned and disturbed Conan then notices the skin of an extinct golden leopard in the piles of furs on the floor and another slumbering citizen. He begins to leave, but hears an inhuman, slobbering movement outside the doors and backs away into a narrow, dark staircase. Now, this is when the story started getting cool because Conan's talking to the lady and stuff, and he's slowly kind of realizing, hey, why is everything here like a thousand years old? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any yeah. sense. Did I go in the past? What's happening? Conan makes his way down the dark passageway and finds a room containing a throne and what seems to be a living, if slumbering, giant snake. He hastens through a door. Actually, when he touched the snake, he thought it was uh, it was going to be a statue. And then, remember, he touched it, and the scales were like... Yeah. He's like, oh, shit, this thing's alive. But he hastens through a door, but hears the movement from above descended into the throne room. He runs down a corridor into another room, but stops when he hears a hypnotizing chant about the history of Kazatre Kel, an ancient force who took the form of man and settled on the inhabited island of Dagonia. His followers built the great city of Dagon... Which, isn't that from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft? I thought that was the name of one of the things maybe, they worship. Uh, maybe. I, I don't think I've reached anything that... Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure Dagon's H.P. Lovecraft monster. 
Um, but they were, or he was, or somebody was harassed by uh, the Uteshi. The Uteshi were defeated and enslaved, but soon rose against the Dagonians, and using a knife forged of a magical meteor, slayed Katasuri Kel. The Dagonians were slaughtered, and the city crumbled in time. But when the fishermen removed the dagger from Kel's remains, the godlike creature was reborn and recreated the city as it stood in its glory, though the inhabitants sleep in deep slumber during the day. Suddenly, a woman sob snaps Conan out of the hypnotizing recitation. So what had happened is... Uh, what had happened? What had happened was the, the city has been long extinct, but this uh, when the fisherman took the dagger off that guy, he's like kind of like a... He's not a sorcerer. He's like a old one, kind of. He used his magic powers to build the city as it was right when, um, you know, after the before the revolt, I guess. And uh, so everyone even brought back the people... But they're in a half state between life and death, which was kind of cool. I talked about it because they've been dead for so long, and then they came back, so they don't know what the fuck's going on. So they have memories of them getting murdered by the slave revolt, but they don't. They think it's like a dream, so they don't really understand what the fuck's happening. So they just kind of go through like in a drugged up haze. After an hour of waiting, an impatient Yagaju Aga takes ten archers into the forest. He stops in a incredulous whatever he goes to the fucking wall city he thinks it was built by pirates in the city conan confronts the iron skin giant cosmetry kill his sword useless because he can't beat the guy he's a big fucking iron monster yeah like his like his sword his sword uh like splintered mm-hmm. when he tried to like stat you know whenever he tried to strike him with it yeah the guy's a fucking cool monster you know he's iron and this one actually wasn't like racist really no it had nothing to do with race Conan blinds Kel with the tapestry and grabs Octavia as he runs out of the room, the demon god not far behind. They find refuge in a steel-lined room, likely Kel's chambers, and wait as the creature pounds on the doors. Which is a cool scene because he's like pounding on this super heavy door and it's like slowly buckling. Conan tells the lady, he's like, hey, probably gonna die. I'm ready to go. And it goes into Conan being a warrior. Like, he knows he's gonna die. He don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. ah, brother. Gonna yeah, get you, ba- brother. He's basically, you know, like, hey... I'm going to fight this guy. You run like hell. Yeah. And I'll try to hold him off for however long as I can. Yeah, which is cool. When it almost seems the doors might give, the blows end and Kel leaves. Conan decides to make a run for the magical dagger, which he assumes is being guarded by the snake in the throne room, and he tells Octavia to wait. This part infuriated the fuck out of me. He returns to the room, and he slowly makes his way towards the door behind the throne, uh, careful not to disturb the ancient coiled serpent. Unfortunately, and much to everybody's surprise, Octavia, afraid to wait alone, loudly enters the room and screams in terror as the snake awakens. Yeah. She woke up the fucking snake and got Conan beat up. Then, like, a huge snake. A huge snake and that Conan didn't have to fight until this dumb lady just, eh, I'm useless, but I'm going to make things harder for you, Conan. Just let her get eaten, dude. But it seems like women are always Conan's downfall here. <laughs> They're always getting beat up. Um, it moves f- towards the girl, but Conan leaps in and manages to kill the creature, break down the door, and recover the dagger laying there. Didn't the snake fuck him up, though? I thought the snake fucked him up. I thought that was a decent little... He was already kind of fucked up from that mm-hmm. monster guy, too. I don't remember. They flee the building, intending to race for the cliffs, but they see what drew Kel away. He has slaughtered all of Agha's men. Jahugar Agha himself has fled and is trying to take Conan's boat with an... When Conan and Octavia overtake him, Conan kills Agha just as Kasatatri Kel comes upon them and, using the magical dagger, wounds, chases, and kills the creature, who reverts to his natural inhuman form 
As it dies, the city of Dagon fades away into smoke, and Dust and Conan and Octavia row away. Sorry, that was so herky-jerky. The writing on that fucking particular And he's a little, uh, if I remember correctly, at the end of the story, doesn't he get a little grab-happy? Isn't this the one where he's just like, hey, come here? Yeah, he takes like a handful of tits or something. I don't remember. Yeah, he got all, he got kind of rapey. Yeah, he got a little, he Completely got Completely unlike the Conan of the last story. He got a little handsy. Yeah, because he like, didn't he force a smooch? Yeah, he like, come here. And then she succumbs to his his natural animalistic wolfishness yeah, and just goes, okay, you can kiss me. Probably, oh. look, probably looking at those blazing blue eyes. Yeah. Framed by the dark maned hair. Yep, yep, that was it. And his dark skin. But but it's white. His dark white skin. <laughs> his dark white skin. <laughs> his lily white skin that's also dark as night. Um, He also probably had really bad breath because he never, nobody's yeah. brushing their teeth. But they're always sucking face. Um, I give that story a solid 2.5. Dude, imagine what genitals smelled like. I don't want... Well, he's always wearing a loincloth, though. It's probably more aerated. There's more shit's getting up there. He's always dirty, though. Yeah. What'd you give this? I give this one about, like, a three. Three. Three and a half. Like I said, I, I enjoyed it more because it seemed to get more to more of, like... It seems more of, a, like, a Conan story. But, like you said, the... The idea, like the the story idea and stuff, was, was really cool, cool. But the execution in it, you know, probably if they did away with the whole Jaga Haga, whatever that guy's name was, and his dumb army, I think it would have been a better story. Like find a way to get Conan on this island and just focus on the Iron Monster and, and maybe all the perils he goes in. You know, he comes upon in this fucking crazy yeah. castle thing. That would have been a cool story. Not so much the fucking, that side story that kind of took over. That was dumb. And, like, I didn't realize they actually had an army with them until the, like, yeah. towards the end. I thought it was just, like, the three or four of them that wanted to it take... Wasn't, that wasn't described very well. Yeah, then Conan didn't need to be so rapey in the end. Um, a few notes on Conan the Sumerian. I don't know if you read any of the back matter. I uh, didn't read the Hyperbian Age. I started to, and it was talking about how, like... Which I already knew from the beginning intro that Robert E. Howard based a lot of these on real places. Yeah. And just kind of changed names and stuff. So the reason why there was a lot of Arabic names, Greek names, Roman names is because that's what he's basing it off of. Like those time periods, those ancient cities. Sumerians are actually, I don't know if you caught this, was pretty cool. Sumerians are the bloodline of Atlanteans, the ancient yeah. Atlanteans. That was cool. So you get that whole thing thrown in. And so that makes more like... So it's not as whenever he eventually becomes king, it's almost kind of like it it, it, fl- it works a bit because they have like the blood is like you know the bloodline's still there. Yeah, it continues, and then eventually Aquaman comes about, right? Yes, and then the, and then it sinks into the ocean. Yeah, and this book does have some cool things that I might actually want to because I we both got like we talked yeah. off air, we both got super burned out on Conan. That's why this episode and the last one we were just like. I'm not even doing the fucking intro reading. I'm not. I just. It's too much. I'm not gonna go into crazy description because these stories all are kind of the same once yeah. you get to a certain point. It's just you know how it's gonna end, which is ruined by the very first Conan story because it's King Conan yeah. when he's older, so you know he lives in every story. Um, but yeah, I definitely want to check that some of that stuff out whenever I get a. Uh, well, I want to check out some of the synopsis. It has untitled synopsis. Yeah, see what wanna, those see what those are like. Yeah, just hear him talking about. Uh, or, you know, like, because well, this is like, stories. Yeah, you could just kind of get a feel how it would have been some, even maybe start some of the draft, just reading a couple of pages of the draft for the stories in here to see how, like, the editors and stuff handled his work and kind of what he changed and give you more of the mind of what it's like to be a writer back then, 
pitching to pulp magazines. Because unlike H.P. Lovecraft, Howard took the suggestions and he would change his work. Lovecraft would just like, oh, it's rejected. Fuck it. Go on to another story. He would never change his work. So when you read H.P. Lovecraft, that's just what you get. Yeah. That wasn't like him after editor suggestions. And that's why some things are kind of wonky or boring or because the he didn't have anybody to be like, hey. You know, spice this part up, make this a little Which, better. You know, maybe we're talking about like how maybe the like some of these stories have been getting racist. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all that's on him. Maybe some of that's coming from the editor, edit- yeah, editorial, or like you know. Well, I, I mean, that's a good point because I could kind of picture a Robert E. Howard turning into Conan story, and then the you know the editor coming back with some notes like, hey, you know, to make the to make the readers really hate the bad guys if you made them black. Or, and, P, you know, people might buy it more. Yeah, or if you just kind of... Because he was... Robert E. Howard's from Texas. So, back in the 30s, Texas was still, like, kind of Mexican. Like, Texas and Mexico, there wasn't a, like, real border dispute. I mean, there might have been a dispute, but, like, you could just go across the border. Yeah. They were coming back and forth. So, it wasn't like they would be super racist against people that much. And Texas wasn't, like, the South-South. With, like, slavery and stuff. Texas was, like, a separate country almost. Yeah. So, I don't know how... I would have to research that more. I don't really know much of Texas history in the early 20th century. But I'd be interested to see, like, Robert E. Howard's upbringing. And just kind of how he lived his life. And what his views were. Because, like, H.P. Lovecraft, he was so racist. Because he lived in big cities. But he was afraid of people. So, he just used his fears. And it wasn't even black people. It was a lot of foreigners. Like, Polish people, um, Arabic people, like, Middle Easterns. He had a problem with just anybody that wasn't just white. Like, what he knew, what he saw in the mirror. Yeah. So, Robert E. Howard seemed like he was more out and about, adventurous type. Maybe he, uh... You, well, you read some about him. Was he, uh... Because he... I've seen, the, like, these pictures and stuff, and he seemed like he was kind of an outgoing guy. Yeah. Which is because I remember... And then, you know, this is from listening to podcasts years ago because Rogan used to always bring up him because he read, like, these old uh, Conan stories. And what he was saying was, like, I guess he, like, he was always made it sound like he was, like, kind of, like, sickly or something. But he didn't seem that way, like, in the picture. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe, yeah. again, that's something that happened at the end, you know, towards the end of his life. It might have had to deal with, you know, why he why he took his own life. Yeah, we have to look into that. I mean, because I'm sure alcohol played a part. Back then, a lot of people that killed themselves was alcohol-related, too. Like, they are really in depression. And obviously, the depression of the 30s. Imagine being in a the writer. 30s after the stock market crashed, the Great Depression, and you're trying to make a living writing not just novels or anything, but fucking stories in pulp magazines you're gonna get paid fucking dick probably get paid 15 cents a fucking story uh yeah we'll have to investigate that maybe we'll like i said maybe we'll do an episode on robert e howard uh you folks can tell us what you think if you'd like that idea or if you had you if you have if you know if you guys know you know have any Uh, information let us know in like you know comments or shoot us like an email or Of maybe like a documentary or, you know, something we can, you know, check out. uh. Speaking of emails, we've had a couple emails of people wanting to be guests on the show. Um, So if you people do want to get on and you're a writer and you have a specific topic, like we got one guy who's talking about writing erotica. Mm. Me and you don't have experience in that. So I told him, you know, maybe at some point we'll do that in the future. um, Have him on. So, because I don't want to just like be one like other podcasts we listen to, which are mainly guest heavy or for a long periods of like stretches, they're kind of depending on the guest to come in. 
Like, I just want to be able to have guests on, you know, when it's fitting, yeah. but not necessarily be just about having guests and interviewing people. And also, as as hopefully as our careers branch out and we get to know people, we can also just have, like, writers that we know that we yeah. think are cool, that, that not necessarily trying to sell a book or anything, but, but can jump on and we can have a cool conversation about writing and all yeah, the other random shit. Just discussing shit. the craft and stuff. Kind of like how we brought Ashley aboard yeah. and, uh, you know, Ash from Britain. Like, we just, like, cool things like that. We just discuss writing. We like doing it. So we're going to start doing that here soon. For you people to know, hopefully this year is the plan get a new house and there's gonna be a, a podcast studio yeah so when that comes about things will get a little more professional around here not all the noise we just heard moments mm-hmm. ago and maybe it'll be easier to get guests in and stuff because uh, our setup is just really just a table full of booze <laughs> <laughs> there, how many bottles do you count right there? there's more booze than podcast equipment on this table one two three four five I count six bottle, seven bottles of booze and a John Cena lunchbox. And, and, and a, a giant, giant goblin. Giant demon uh, beer stein. <laughs> <laughs> That's the table. And those aren't there because we're... Uh, just because my liquor cabinet's super yeah. full. <laughs> You're slacking on your drinking, boy. You gotta get to it. Yeah, I haven't been drinking too much. I've been drinking just beer lately. Um. Anyway, we got a book club to go to, so... Real, real quick. Oh, okay. one thing. You got something? I just... Because, you know... Because all these stories take different places during Conan's life. You know the one story I wanted to read is how he became king. That yeah, that you know was, what I mean. I don't think that was. Is in there, there is there any like is there any kind of thing that you like a story you wish would have covered something? Um, like I said, we've seen him before King and, and as King, but, like, you know, we know he cut the head off of the one guy, but, like, it still would have been able to to have that story, you know, have more in-depth than, you, you know. I would have liked a story that described how Conan became the warrior he is. Because or him, like, chilling in Samaria. Yeah. Like, before he came like out. Like, why he left wanted, Samaria. Yeah. That would be an interesting Or, like, one. young Conan. A I, young young Conan yeah. story. How'd he get so buff? Because he had to go through trials and tribulations to become the warrior. He, you don't just start off yeah. as an amazing fighter and super jacked. Like, there, there's some training going on. You know, he wasn't just a natural leader. I feel like he had to learn and, like, some see, things. Like, see him, like I said, like a young Conan with him with his fellow Sumerians and maybe get, like, a better insight on that culture. Yeah. And, like, how they build these freak monster people, like, you know. And what, how Conan went into being a, you know, a thief, a pirate. Yeah. Like, why does he view those as just fight, killing people? He's just like, okay. Yeah, I, want- I want a story just set in Samaria, I think. A young Conan Samaria. And maybe, like, his parents or his siblings or whatever. Like, how, when's this man's fucking background. Again, we'll, this is what we'll have to Conan do some research. origin. We'll have to do some research because there's been 